The sermon text for this morning is Psalm 109. To the choir master, a psalm of David. Be not silent, O God of my praise, for wicked and deceitful mouths are open against me, speaking against me with lying tongues. They encircle me with words of hate and attack me without cause. In return for my love, they accuse me, but I give myself to prayer. So they reward me evil for good and hatred for my love. Appoint a wicked man against him. Let an accuser stand at his right hand. When he is tried, let him come forth guilty. Let his prayer be counted as sin. May his days be few. May another take his office. May his children be fatherless and his wife a widow. May his children wander about and beg, seeking food far from the ruins they inhabit. May the creditor seize all that he has. May strangers plunder the fruits of his toil. Let there be none to extend kindness to him, nor any to pity his fatherless children. May his posterity be cut off. May his name be blotted out in the second generation. May the iniquity of his fathers be remembered before the Lord, and let not the sin of his mother be blotted out. Let them be before the Lord continually, that he may cut off the memory of them from the earth. For he did not remember to show kindness, but pursued the poor and needy and the brokenhearted to put them to death. He loved to curse, let curses come upon him. He did not delight in blessing. May it be far from him. He clothed himself with cursing as his coat. May it soak into his body like water, like oil into his bones. May it be like a garment that he wraps around him, like a belt that he puts on every day. May this be the reward of my accusers from the Lord, of those who speak evil against my life. But you, O God, my Lord, Deal on my behalf for your name's sake. Because your steadfast love is good, deliver me. For I am poor and needy, and my heart is stricken within me. I am gone like a shadow at evening. I am shaken off like a locust. My knees are weak through fasting. My body has become gaunt with no fat. I am an object of scorn to my accusers. When they see me, they wag their heads. Help me, O Lord, my God. Save me according to your steadfast love. Let them know that this is your hand. You, O Lord, have done it. Let them curse, but you will bless. They arise and are put to shame, but your servant will be glad. May my accusers be clothed with dishonor. May they be wrapped in their own shame as in a cloak. With my mouth, I will give great thanks to the Lord. I will praise him in the midst of the throng. For he stands at the right hand of the needy one to save him from those who condemn his soul to death. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Heavenly Father, we know that Christ is our treasure and there is none beside Him. 
and that your precious Son, Jesus, there is no one beside Him. God, so let us not turn to anything else, but just come to your throne and bow at your feet and come under your word that you might transform our hearts and minds to delight in you, to see your beauty in a way that we have never beheld it before, God. Nothing is too great for you. You create the earth and the mountains and the streams and the valleys and the trees and the stars and the moon and the sun and all the planets with your word, God. So now we come to you and ask that you would create in us a clean heart, O God. As we long for you to move and to act. Amen. Amen. If you grew up in our home, which was uh, either a, a blessing or is a place of unfortunate circumstances, you're brought up in a, a, a Lutheran home that was staunchly German. So all of the family get-togethers, they were focused typically around two, two things. One, some kind of churchy thing going on, and then some kind of festivities afterwards. So you would get together, and you'd go to grandmother's house, and you'd go to um, grandma and grandpa's house, and you'd go to Easter service in the morning go to grandma's, she would make some food for us, and then most of the people would go down to Bummy's house uh, down the street and have a few drinks. And now if you're a sociologist watching our family, uh, which is quite interesting, the thing that you don't want to miss are the weddings. This is when the first cousins, the second cousins, and the third cousins all get together and Everything's going well after after the service, and then you have the meal, and everything's fine. Everything's going okay, and then the dancing begins, and still everything's everything's good. You have the first dance, the the father and the bride, you know, and then everybody else. Maybe some eighties hair band might be played as well, but then it takes a turn. You hear the tuba playing. Bum, 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 bum. Then the accordion starts playing. And for these Germans, when the polka begins, they cannot help themselves. And these typically, sometimes subdued men and women begin boisterously singing, you know, like roll out the barrel and we'll have a barrel of fun. And it was everybody over 50 is singing in German. Everybody under 50 is singing in English. And it's still okay. It's okay. Nothing, nothing lewd. Everybody's still enjoying themselves, but they haven't gone too far. But there's always that one, that uncle, right? Who, who, there's, there's admittedly sometimes a little bit of a gray line, but he just plows right through it, right? He's, and uh, the thing to watch for is the hands. The hands are the giveaway. So when he's dancing like this, everything's fine, and you know it's okay. You see, or you have men over here dancing like with a missionary zeal, the you know the um, the chicken dance over here. But you still have to keep an eye on that uncle. So in his hands, you're gonna watch the hands. When the hands go from this, and when they become pistols, and then he starts dancing like that, that's your cue, and that's when you have to act, and you gotta get him out of the dance floor and kind of sequester him away from everybody else, so he doesn't start talking about how horrible his first wife was, how horrible his second wife was, how he doesn't even enjoy his third wife, and and everything like that. So you can sequester him away, so he doesn't embarrass himself, embarrass the family, and everything else. That same approach is how many Christians, even us, many, many Christians throughout church history, 
have approached these imprecatory psalms. We come to them and ah, oh, yeah, yeah, they're there. Okay, they're still part of the canon. Yes, you're okay. You're still part of the family. Just, just don't talk to anybody the rest of the night. Yes, you're, you know, you, yes, you're in the canon. We're not taking you out of the the psalms, but you know, you really hope your atheist neighbor just doesn't open up the Bible that you gave them and, and turn to Psalm 109 or Psalm 69 to start reading away. You know, you want them to go like to to John three, which Christ's soft interaction with Nicodemus, calling him to to worship in spirit and truth. Or, or read John 4, you know, the woman at the well. And um, worshiping in spirit and truth there. And um, so on. when we approach these psalms, we can't have them, you know, sequestered away as though we're embarrassed of them, right? So on one hand, we can have an understanding of God that is so skewed that any any involvement of judgment whatsoever is too much. It's just impalatable for us. However, we don't want to take these and then read them and just read them through our own hearts, through our own emotions and say, yes, this is what I want for everybody who cuts me off or doesn't agree with me. There's something else. You also remember, these are in the, it's, this is a psalm. This is the hymn book of God's people. Congregations in purity of heart would be singing this out. Singing this out. So this text is not, my friends, is not something to be ignored or explained away. These are words of God brought to us through the Holy Spirit that are to be delighted in. So what you see, what I hope you're able to kind of pull away with this psalm is that it's a pleading for God to act. David is pleading for God to act. So you look in verses 1 to 5 and he's saying, God, deliver me. Deliver me, God. Act in such a way that you will deliver me. Deliver me out of these circumstances. Then in verses 6 through 20, you're saying, God, deliver them. Don't just deliver me, but deliver them into your hand. Deliver me into your arms of love. Deliver them into your hand of judgment. And then finally, you see 21 through 31, you see all of this is happening. So that God might be praised by His people in the midst of His temple. So let's go to these first couple of verses here. Verse 1. Be not silent, O God, of my praise. For wicked and deceitful mouths are opened against me, speaking against me with lying tongues. They encircle me with words of hate and attack me without cause. In return for my love, they accuse me, but I give myself to prayer. So they reward me evil for good and hatred for my love. And here's David, the sweet psalmist of Israel, as he's known in Second Samuel. He's burning with indignation. And you notice right where he turns, where does he go right away? He goes to God. God hears the cries of the oppressed. He never hears them with muffled voices. He never hears them as though he's turned his back. With clarity, he always hears the cries of the oppressed. And he's pleading for God, and he's pleading, as we said, he's pleading for God to act. That God would be the one to deliver him. That he wouldn't deliver himself, but that God would be the one to deliver him. 
So he's pleading with him, God, do not be silent, even though this evil is surrounding me. And he's asking for God to act, for God to speak, for God to not be silent anymore is for God to act. In all of creation, when God speaks, things happen. In the word, when God speaks, we now have the word of life. So you see that God's judgment is actually a sign of, or God's silence then is actually a sign of God's judgment. You see in Isaiah 6, it's a judgment upon the people that they will have ears that they will not hear, so God will be silent to them. Or even in Matthew 13, when Christ is talking about the parables, for them to not hear them and understand them is an act of judgment of God upon them. So even right now, the posture of our heart should be to ask God, just God, please speak to me. Create in us a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me and cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Our, that should be the posture of our hearts continually, is that we plead. We don't plead for any other Messiah. We don't plead for the government. We don't plead to our employers. We don't plead to our spouses. We plead to God to come and redeem us and deliver us and save us, for He's the only one that can. So then this pleading of God to not be silent then turns into a plead that He says, I will, I will praise you. And I'm not going to praise you because you're an idol who's going to do what I want, and I want you to now deliver me. I'm going to praise you because of your goodness. And out of your goodness and your sovereign love for your people, you will save your people, and you will not be thwarted. So because of your goodness, I will praise you. And because of your goodness, I know that you will deliver me. So then what's happening here? Well, look in verse 3. Well, they encircle me with words of hate, and they attack me without cause. And in return for my love, what do they do? Well, they accuse me about what am I going to do? I'm going to give myself to prayer. So when they return evil for good and hatred for my love. And you notice how this is the antithesis of the gospel. The gospel is that we receive hatred and we give out love. But what are these... What are they doing? What does David find himself? He finds himself in a place where everything and the truth of God is turned upside down. It's so distant from him. Even though he's giving out love, he's returning hatred upon his head. So these people who are acting, they're showing how they're truly the sons of the evil one. So beloved, when you find yourself in this situation, when you see the evil of the world around you, there's only one place to turn, and that is to God. Plead with Him that He will not be silent, that He will be the one to deliver you. And in, when they encircle you with words of hate, as it says, that He would surround you with His eternal words of love. So when He delivers, again, when He delivers some into His arms of love, but He delivers others into His hands of judgment. Look here in verse 6. Appoint a wicked man against him. Let an accuser stand at his right hand. When he is tried, let him come forth guilty. Let his prayer be counted as sin. Now this is appalling. I would contend that this is appalling because we have no idea how wretched we truly are. 
We have no idea of the sin that stains our heart and how much we rebel against God throughout so many of our actions and our thoughts and our deeds. So it's difficult because we're unacquainted with this eternal judgment that will become forth, the coming out of this holy and loving and just God. So when we have this framed in our mind, what we have to realize is that it's not a personal hatred. That's where we want to go. It's not a personal hatred that's flowing out of David. But rather what's happening is that this is a prophetic announcement of what will happen against the people who rebel against God and His people. So this, this, the heart of this psalm, I want you to see, the heart of this psalm does not begin with David. The heart of this psalm begins with God's promise to Abraham. That I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who curse you. So David, what he's doing, he's not saying, I'm frustrated, I hate these people. God, you know, shall we call down fire from the heavens? No, that's not it at all. He's coming before God, pleading with Him. God, act in a way that you've promised that you will act. I know that you are trustworthy. I know that you are sure. Act according to your word, dear God. And as horrific as it seems, we must remember that all of this that Connor read, everything in this is but a foretaste that will befall those who be, who, those who oppose God. And it might seem unpalatable. Now, we read this and we, ah, we kind of pull back a little bit. And it seems unpalatable. But in the day to come, we will rejoice in the judgment of God against those who oppose Him. Look in Revelation 19. It says, After this, I heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out. This is John's revelation. Salvation and glory and power belongs to our God, for His judgments are true and just. For He has judged the great prostitute Babylon and all of everyone who follows her. Who corrupted the earth with her immorality and has avenged on her the blood of his servants. And once more they cried out, Hallelujah, as the smoke of her rose up forever and ever. The people of God, you guys, if you are in Christ, you will be rejoicing at the God's perfect and good judgment that will come upon those who oppose God. So as horrific as this is, which it is, keep in mind that this is but a foretaste of what is to come. And as we pull back from it, we will soon be delighting in it. So going back to the text here. It says, when he is tried, let him come forth as guilty. Let his prayer be counted as sin. And how many atrocities have been committed by those who pray. They have a pretense of godliness. They look religious, don't they? Are they pretending to be Christian or any other religion? Or they look religious and then they go and what do they do? They kidnap 140 children out of a Baptist school in Nigeria. They brainwash the boys and they give them guns to continue to fight and they auction off the girls for horrific things. And with blood on their hands, they pray to Allah. 
So when you think about it in that way, when you read that their days may be few, well then it makes perfect sense. So it is clear, and it's so powerful here. So this text, so let me just read some of it here. May his children be fatherless. May his wife be a widow. May his children wander about and beg. We don't want like that. We, we like, you know, oh, no, no, suffer the little children to come on to me. That, that's what we want to hear. May the creditor seize all that he has. He loved to curse. Now let his curses come upon him. And then in verse 20, may his, may this be the reward of my accusers from the Lord of those who speak evil against my life. Now what do we do with this? What do we do when our hearts and our emotions are drawn in this way, in this direction? Well, we remember Paul's words from in Ephesians. You can be angry, but in your anger, do not sin. And again, how do we have this then? Have this and know that this is true and this is good and this is proper and the people of God would sing it. How do I sing this before God with a clean heart and not be carried off into these hellish desires of the evil one? How do I do that? We just take a step back and see the categories that are already given to us by God in Scripture. Again, we've already talked about Abraham, God saying that he will bless those who bless him and curse those who curse him. We see the Canaanites who continually rebelled against God for generation after generation after generation. And they were cursed and they were wiped away. Even the martyrs in heaven in Revelation 6, earlier we read from Revelation 19, Revelation 6, the martyrs in heaven are also crying out, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell upon the earth? So there are clear categories within Scripture of, of God giving this retributive justice to those who rebel against Him and oppose His people. So we know that this vengeance will come forth, but we have to remember, we plead and we pray and we stand idly by and wait for God to act. We have a God who can defend himself. We have a God who will sustain his people. So we don't have to do it. That's the beauty of this psalm. Is that we plead for God to pray. For God to act. And we wait and we watch for him to act. So then when is it right? Obviously that's the, the glaring question. When is it right to pray this? Again, not if you want the vengeance to come by your own hands. Or if you have these unbridled emotions coming out of you. Well, then that's not the time to pray it. But on the other hand, you can join with your congregation with a pure heart. And you can pray this for others. Yes. Yes, you can. For these Fulani herdsmen who continually pull our brothers and sisters and kill them week after week after week. Because they're gathered together to worship God. If they won't repent, yes, God judge them. These horrific pedophiles and sex traffickers. Yes, God, if they will not repent of their sin, judge them. And judge them rightly. Where your creation is good. 
And when it rebels against you, and it will not repent, God judge them. So we pray that over other people. But listen up. We pray this psalm over ourselves as well. God, if that is me, God, if I continue in this sin, God, if I will not repent and turn to you, if I turn away from you, God, and continue in my sin, well, then, God, put an accuser at my right hand. God, then take have a creditor seize all that I have. God, may my curses soak into my body like oil into my bones. And God, if I ever mock you, let those be the last words out of my mouth. We even prayed this. Adam and I and some of the other elders, we've prayed this even for our church. God, if we defame you and your gospel, end us. You don't need us. We realize that. And we, if we stray from the truth, if we are not pure to what you have called us to do, God, end us as a church. So yeah, we can pray it over other people. But don't look beyond your own sin. And applying this to your own life. And asking that God would keep you pure. So then finally, look in here in verse 21. Why does all of this happen? You see the big turn here. He's, he's asking God to be quiet or to be silent, to not be silent. And then he's saying all that's happened. And as evil as they are, then you have the big switch. But you... But you, oh my God, my Lord, deal on my behalf. Why? Not, why? Not for me, God. Why are you, why do I want you to act? I want you to act for your name's sake. I want you to act for your glory, dear God. Because of your steadfastness, your steadfast love is good. But God, because of that, I want you to deliver me. And what do I have to offer? We'll go to the next verse. I have nothing. I am poor and needy. And my heart is stricken within me. I have gone out like a shadow at evening. I am shaken off like a locust. My knees are weak through fasting. My body has become gaunt and with no fat. I have nothing, dear God. I have nothing to offer you. But I know, I know of your steadfast love. And I know of your goodness. And for your name's sake, God, I ask and I plead that you will act in this situation. So God, I have none other. Verse 26, help me. Oh, Lord, my God. Let them know that this is your hand, oh, Lord, and that you have done it. Not that it's from me, but God, that you have done it, that you are the one who can and will deliver. And then go down to verse 30. With my mouth, I will give you great thanks to the Lord. I will praise him in the midst of the throng. So we plead with God to act that he might be praised. That He alone will be the one to receive worship. That we will not have any other deliverer. Don't seek another one to deliver you. That's the temptation throughout the whole Old Testament. They're seeking other nations, other people to come and deliver them in these instances. But no, turn away, turn away from that temptation of this world. Be patient and wait for God to deliver you. Then He will receive all of the glory. Not even an ember of God's glory then will be placed in our account. But then He will receive all of the glory. For He stands at the right hand of the needy one. 
to save him from those who condemn his soul to death. We come here to the end of the psalm. But the tension is still there. There's still something missing. And it's Christ. This tension and everything is, is not resolved until we realize that all of this is pointing to Christ. That it was Christ who was encircled with words of hate. In Matthew 27, he was up on the cross. And they're mocking him. And he said, he saved others, but he cannot save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down from the cross. Oh, and then we'll believe. It is Christ that was, he is the one that was attacked without cause. When they spit on his face and they struck him, some of these soldiers here. And they slapped him saying, prophesy to us, you Christ. Who is it that struck you? It is Christ who had given himself to prayer in the midst of his accusers. He's up on the cross and he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And it is Christ who has been rewarded evil for good and hatred for his love. And Christ uttered out a loud cry and breathed his last. So ultimately this psalm I'm sorry to tell you, it's not about you. It's not even really about David. But it's another reminder of how we can draw all that we are, all of our emotions and all that we're thinking, we can bring it to the fountain of Christ, to the fountain of Christ. And there it will be fulfilled. Even the, even the disciples realize this. So in Acts, they have Judas who betrays Christ with a kiss, right? And he goes, and what does he do? His life follows the course of this psalm, and he dies a suicide. Well, it makes perfect sense then. They, they quote this psalm, let a, and let another take his office in fulfillment. So even the early disciples realized, oh... This is pointing to Christ. All of this is pointing to Christ. It is through Christ that, that we can plead for God to act. And it is through Christ that God, He will act. And when God acts through Christ, both to judge and then to save, we will praise Him forever and ever. So I want you to realize that God will move in your life, my friends. God will move in your life. Either He will deliver you into His hands of judgment, or He will deliver you into His arms of love. So we plead, as we're pleading with God to act, in the same way we plead with you, I plead with you, to turn to Christ and to place all of your trust into Him. Lest this psalm that we are reading becomes a foretaste of the judgment that will come upon your soul and upon your your life. Turn to Christ. Come to Him now, for as it says, that He will save you. He will surely save you according to His steadfast love. Let us pray. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we delight in Your Word, even though it is it is difficult. And... God, we know and rejoice that 
You have delivered so many of us in this room. God, you have delivered us from this judgment, God. And if you haven't yet, God, work in our hearts to trust in you, to lean on Christ as the one who can deliver us. God, we can't deliver us from ourselves from our own sin. God, we lean on you even in that to deliver us from the evil one. So as we come and feast upon your table and delight in your finished work of Christ, God, let us come with clean hands and a clean heart knowing that the work has been finished. Amen. Amen.